Acts 13, 13 through 52. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioned with his hand, and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No. But behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, 
after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. They shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. So um, whenever there's an offer on the table, right, uh, terms of a deal um, that are presented, Eventually, it gets down to, will that offer be received or rejected? Take it or leave it? Yes or no? Eventually, it comes down to that. Um, for example, I, uh, I recently got a fishing boat. I promise it has something to do with this. Uh, it's not much. It's just a beat-up old aluminum fishing boat from 1978. It was given to me. Uh, but I had been shopping for something like this for a while, and, and like for like years, actually. Nah, that's too expensive. Nah, that's oh, A friend shot me a picture, beat-up aluminum fishing boat, and said, Phil, it was like, ah, that's a lot of work. This is going to completely rearrange my weekends, completely rearrange my backyard. I don't know if I'm ready for this. But eventually, it came down to this. 
Was I going to shake that man's hand and hook that thing up to my truck and drive away off with it or not? And I did. Yeah. <laughs> Hasn't seen the water yet. <laughs> but it comes down to yes or no. You're going to receive this offer? You're going to reject this offer. And that's what we see Paul doing right here in Acts chapter 13 as he pre presents the gospel, he presents the, the plan of redemption, he presents who Jesus is and what he's done, but it comes down to this. It's an offer. Will you receive it or will you reject it? And maybe you're here and you've been hanging around church for a while, been hanging around Christian people for a while, which is awesome. You're learning some things about the Bible and about God, about who Jesus is. But you have yet to make that heart-level leap of repentance and faith that says, I receive this redemption. Or maybe you call yourself a Christian because it's convenient. You know, you're, you're doing what we call in student ministries playing the game, right? Because it's easy to around your friends or maybe it's easy around your family to call yourself a Christian, but the heart level move of repentance and faith saying, I receive this redemption, this Jesus will be my king and I will be his joyful citizen and I'm trusting in him for the forgiveness of sins, that hasn't really happened. Or maybe you have people in your and you've talked to them about some Christian stuff for a while. You've, you've, you've had some churchy conversations. But you've never said, here it is. This is the offer of redemption that God makes. Choose. Choose. And that's the example that we have from Paul right here. Here's the offer from God. And he's saying, by the Spirit of God, choose. Kind of like a Joshua moment. Choose this day whom you will serve. And that's what we see here. Because all of God's power and all of God's promises and all of God's prophecies are culminating and have culminated in the power and the work and the person of Jesus Christ. And we will either receive him or we will reject him. Let's walk through it together. Let's walk through it together. We'll walk through Paul's argument. Paul's argument really starts in verse 16, right? They get to their, they, the whole team gets to the location, and they go into the synagogue. Oh, well, I say the whole team. Not the whole team. John Mark has chickened out. See that? Verse 13, John left them, returned to Jerusalem. And you're like, Josh, what a, what a, how a, an uncharitable way to put that. Well, we find out more about why he left later. And uh, we're going we're gonna to track with John Mark, okay? This guy turns out to be a pretty important background figure. But just know for now, this kid, you know, he was at, he was at the prayer meeting where Peter showed up. Where Peter showed up and he knocked and they, they thought, oh, they can't be Peter. And he, is, he had escaped from prison. That was John Mark's house. He was a kid in that, in that house. And then he went along with Paul. And then, like, first place they get, he's like, I'm going back to mom. Um, anyway. That's not the sermon. 
Um, but we'll be tracking with that kid. Paul gets to his argument, actually, in verse 16. And the first thing he does is he sets up the people with this. Reflect on God's power. That's what he does first. He says, you guys, you know the God of Israel. You know what he has done. You know what he can do. Reflect for a moment on God's power. Because what I'm about to tell you is too good to be true unless you recognize that the God of Israel has been working his redemption all this time, and this fits right with his program, right? He has the power to do this. He has the power to grant forgiveness of sins and eternal life, and I'm about to lay that out for you, but you're not going to be prepared to hear it until we reflect a little bit on God's power, right? God chose our fathers. He didn't have to do that. He says, God made the people great when they were in, in Egypt. And then he led them out with a mighty hand. And then he put up with them in the wilderness. And then he destroyed the, the nations of Canaan and gave them their land. And then he gave them judges. And then when they asked for a king, he gave them a king. And when it was time, he removed that king. And he raised up David and he said, this one here, through him, I am going to do all of my redemptive work through him and his line. God has been doing all of this stuff, Paul is saying. And I know that you easily forget his power, so I'm reminding you. It's so easy to go dull to the work of God. I mean, we're here, we're singing his praises, I believe with sincere and genuine hearts and we're listening to his word again with open and teachable spirits and we will fellowship and we will encourage one another and then we will go and we will eat lunch and we'll forget all about God and his power and his work. Tell me I'm not the only one. Yeah, I just go dull. I just go dull. And part of the work of God's word is to remind us and remind us and remind us. I've got to... I've got a pile of rocks at the house that, 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 that just are to remind me of God's power. They used to sit on my mantle in my living room because that's where I would pray, would be in the living room. That's where I would pray and worry. Um, and I'm doing this because I pace, right? Just, that was my dog run in the living room where I would pray and I would start to worry and then I'd see those rocks and I'd be like, of course God can handle this. Amen. And now they're on my desk because that's where I pray and study and write and worry. And, uh, and I look at those rocks and, and, and I'm prepared once again to trust that what God is offering is not too good to be true. It's actually perfectly fitting with who he is and what he does. That he is able to break the power of that besetting sin in your life. It's part of his gospel promises, and you can trust him. That he, yes, is in fact able to grant you forgiveness, that you can stand before him clean, even though you know you're not. That you can live forever with him. He is able to do that. It's, that is not out of his character or doesn't 
fit with his plan. It actually fits perfectly with his program. And then Paul says this. Not only is this within God's power to grant you redemption, it actually fits perfectly with his promises. You need to understand his promises. So he sets them up. He tees them up with, let's reflect on God's power for a minute. He's able to do all of this. Nothing is too much for him. And then he says, but if you understood the scriptures, you would see Jesus. If you understood the scriptures, to grasp the scriptures is to see and treasure and adore and worship and trust Jesus. He says, starting in verse 26, he says, Brothers, sons of, sons of the family of, of Abraham, you, among you who fear God, like you, you, know, you know some of the scriptures. But those rulers in Jerusalem, even though they should have recognized him, here was, the, here was the issue. They did not recognize him, nor did they understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath. If they grasped scripture, they would have seen Jesus. Those who knew, who should have known Scripture best, completely missed it. And in doing so, they fulfilled that Scripture. He says regarding Jesus' death, he says they, they fulfilled these Scriptures by condemning him, verse 27. They fulfilled them by condemning him. As, as David had written in Psalm 22, this is what it's like. It's like, I'm surrounded by tormentors. They've even cast lots for my clothing. And all of these things took place with Jesus just as God had said through him, this is going to be a, a servant of mine like David. And David had already written these things and these, these men then fulfilled it. And then they put him to death. And Isaiah, right, they carried out all that was written of him, verse 29. Because Isaiah had already written that this Messiah would be a suffering servant. That by his wounds we would be healed. That he would be crushed for our iniquities. And they carried it all out. Those who should have recognized him carried out his death. Just as scripture said that would happen. But not only... Does Scripture give us this about his death? Scripture also gives, us, about, gives th us these things about his resurrection, right? What does he say? Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. And we should have seen it coming, he says, because it says in Psalm 2, you are my son, today I have begotten you. If you read the second Psalm, the second Psalm just explains there's a Messiah. There's a Messiah that God calls his very son, and he's going to be given the nations. He's going to be given the, the very ends of the earth. We know that a Messiah is coming, and they should have known it too. But in fact, this one is the living instrument, verse 34. He's the living instrument through whom God's people will receive the holy and sure blessings of David. And he can't be dead. The scriptures already told us that he would die and suffer, but he can't be dead because David also says in Psalm 16, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. So the scriptures have told us that he's going to suffer and die, and the scriptures have told us that he's going to be from David, and the scriptures have told us that he will not stay dead. So who else could this be? 
This is the one I'm telling you about. And the scriptures have already told us what we need to know. If you grasp scripture, you should see this one. And it can't be David because David's dead. That's what he says. And you would say to me right now, okay, that's sort of coming into focus for me. And that's actually very, that's very, very common experience, right? Like as we grasp Scripture, as we see how it's coming together and we see how rich it is, Jesus starts to come into focus and it, 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 he comes into focus with kind of like a spark of recognition and awe. And it's simple enough for a child to believe and complex and rich enough for us to never exhaust our study of him in God's word. You say, well, that's awesome, but what do I do with that? Like, are, like give, me, give me something to take away with here. Like, what do I, how should I respond to that? And I think there are lots of implications. I'm going to give you five that I think are really practical implications for this truth that Grasping Scripture means seeing Jesus. Here are five of them. One is this. We cannot be, we cannot be, I love Jesus but not the Bible people. We can't be a I love Jesus but not the Bible guy. Right? Because grasping Scripture means seeing Jesus. And it's a trendy thing, I know. It's a trendy thing to say, you know, like, I, I, I love Jesus, but I'm not so crazy about the Bible. And I, I like the idea of um, uh, a tender, gentle king. And I like the idea of sacrifice. So, so, so some of the, those are some basics that you get from the Bible. And, and then here's the thing, though. If we don't draw our portrait of Jesus from the Scriptures, we'll simply draw a portrait of Jesus from our own imagination. And soon, that picture of Jesus is going to look a lot like your face. Right? Because <laughs> it's not Jesus. It's, it's, our it's our imagination of Jesus that's just sort of reinforced by some very, very basic Bible truths. But rather, if we come to Scripture and we draw that portrait from Scripture, and we come to see the richness and the complexity of the truths about Jesus, then who he really is comes into focus. And I, believe me, he is going to inspire way more trust and way more awe and way more worship and way more adoration than your imaginary picture of him. Okay, that's one. Here's a second. If you're a church kid, watch out. Number two, if you're a church kid, watch out. And, th 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 and that's coming from me, a severely churched kid. Um, it's, the, it's, the, uh, it's the other side of the coin. That grasping scripture means seeing Jesus. But there is a way in which you can take in a whole bunch of Bible and never see Jesus because you're not taking it in right. Right? There's a way in which you can pile up Bible trivia like a bunch of firewood that never gets lit. And Jesus spoke to these people in John chapter 5. He says, you search the scriptures because you, see, you think that in them you have life, but it's they that point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me. 
draw, draw on scriptures so that you would see Jesus, but see Jesus. Church kids, let the Bible confront the sinfulness of your heart and come to realize there's no hope for you apart from the grace of God, and then run to him. That's, that's the solution, church kids. Here's a third implication. Come to Scripture asking for the Spirit to open your eyes. We did that just this morning as, as I walked up on the platform and we prayed together that the Spirit would open our eyes to the truth of God's Word. Because the fact is that we can, we can read the words, we can even put them together intellectually in the flesh, but we can't actually understand their spiritual impact apart from the Spirit of God. It's called the doctrine of illumination. Right? So it is right that we would open up God's word with prayer, humbly asking the Spirit to do what only the Spirit can do, and that is the spiritual impact of God's word. Here's a fourth. Read the New Testament examining the Old Testament. Read the New Testament examining the Old Testament. Paul lays out his argument here and he uses three different Bible quotations to do it. He alludes to several others earlier in his argument and then he warns them with a fourth from Habakkuk saying, watch out. There are, God is accustomed to warning you about being disbelieving. And here's the thing. All of these scripture texts that Paul uses from the Old Testament are situated. These aren't things that Paul just like grabbed out of the air, like, oh, this kind of this kind of flows in my talk. They come from specific places in the Old Testament that describe the work of God in such a way that if you were to go and examine them, you would say, wow, that maps to Jesus, that's blowing my mind. And the depth of our understanding of Christ's redemptive work would just blossom. It would just get richer. We would see it in more, in more layers when we examine the Old Testament while we read the New Testament. The apostles knew how to explain the Old Testament, explain the gospel from the Old Testament. They were taught that one, but they were taught how to do that by the author. And they learned it from him. So here's the fifth. We're going to see Jesus when we grasp Scripture. And here's a fifth way to do that, and that is to read the Old Testament. For instance, you read in the Psalms, as David writes, the, the, God is our refuge. Christ, God is not your refuge. He's your judge. And so when we pop open the Old Testament and fail to ask, how is this mine? We fail to appreciate the grace of God that's been shown to us in Christ. We just assume that it's for us. Like the fortune cookie you get, right? You open it up, must be mine. But when we ask, how is this mine? We recognize only by the grace of God through Jesus. And as we grasp Scripture, we see Him. So, as we understand God's promises, as we grasp Scripture, we see the person of Christ. And so, Paul has set them up. 
Those are his two basic moves. He sets them up by saying, hey, God can do this. And God's promised to do this. And then he says, here it is. Here's God's proclamation. Believe it. Believe God's proclamation. He gets to verse 38, and he says, let it be known to you, therefore. Right? I'm bottom lining this for you. Here's the deal. Here's the offer. Let it be known to you, therefore, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and freedom. Everyone who believes is freed from, from that which the, could not be freed from the law by the law of Moses. That word free means justified. Justified. You can be justified in a way that the law could never do. The law actually just revealed how far you were falling short of the character of God. But through this man is the forgiveness of sins and justification. You can be clean before God. That's my offer. Grace. He's making what I call the ambassadorial appeal. Right? Like an ambassador on, on behalf of a king. Paul is saying, here are God's terms of peace with you. He is granting you forgiveness. He is granting you justification, eternal life with him. You can go from being a rebel to a joyful citizen, and he will be your king. And it's free, but it'll cost you everything. You put your life in his hands. You trust him. Receive this. So I make that ambassadorial appeal to you now too. Receive this. Receive it. Repent. This is, so you're like, okay, well, what does it mean to receive this? How do I, how do I receive as opposed to reject this redemption? That seems so vague. That seems so uh, ambiguous. Just Receive it. Well, I understand. Because, you know, there's not a ritualized prayer that you pray that suddenly now that means you've received it. Although, it's right to pray. Uh, baptism is not a ritual by which you receive this redemption. It's actual, actually a symbol that shows that you have, right? So, then what does it mean to receive? How does that happen? How do you do it? Well, it's vague and, and a little um, ambi uh, ambiguous because it's a heart-level thing. It's an internal thing. It's a matter of faith. You say, well, if it's internal and it's heart-level, then, I mean, how do you even know that it happened? Let me give you an example. Um, unfortunately, I'm very familiar with this example because it involves whenever I'm a jerk to my wife, right? Now, the first service and the second service laughed sympathetically. And they're like, oh, yeah, that happens all the time with us. Uh, okay, so you're making me feel better. Okay. But if, I, if I'm a jerk, and it does happen, um, then I need to repent and I need forgiveness. And so what does that look like? 
How do you know that it's happened? Well, it looks like this. I need to come to her and say, I am sorry. Uh, that was a jerk move. I know it. Um, I wish I hadn't. I did. And I need you to forgive me. I repent. That's for real. How do you know that happened? You know that happened. When you repent, you know it happened. It's more real than anything you can see. Here's the thing, though. She, she has to receive that repentance. Right? She could not, but heretofore she always has, eventually, received that repentance. <laughs> and that's a real thing, too. It's heart level. You can't see it, but you know it's real. And here's the thing. The cross of Jesus Christ declares to all who look that God is ready to receive your repentance. When you go to him and you say, God, here's my sin. Here's my rebellion. I repent. You and I know how I've lived, thought, spoken. I need forgiveness. The cross of Jesus says, you do not have to wonder whether or not God is ready to receive your repentance. It's paid for. He's ready. You can go to him right now. But that restoration hasn't been completed until she forgives me. She's good about looking me in the eye and saying, I forgive you. And it's still not done until I receive that forgiveness. Have you ever been extended forgiveness? And, you know, you're glad that they extended forgiveness, but you didn't really receive it. You just kind of brushed it off. That's completely different than me looking her back in the eyes and saying, thank you. I needed that. <laughs> and you might not be able to see that, but it is the realest thing ever. And that needs to take place between you and God, too, to receive the forgiveness that is offered you in Jesus Christ, to look him in the eyes, so to speak, and say, thank you for forgiving me. I receive it. We can walk in restored relationship now because I know you've received my repentance, and I have received your forgiveness. I'm trusting it. By faith, I'm trusting your forgiveness has been provided to me, and the cross proves it. I'm trusting it. I'm trusting it. And now I want to walk in restored relationship. Now we can walk in restored relationship with husband and wife, and you can walk in restored relationship as king and citizen. And there may be somebody here who's never done that before. You can do that right now. Like we said, it's a heart-level thing. Your heart's here. You could do it right now. 